again, it is Tuesday and we are going to chomp down on the latest feature from Andrew Dembina. So he's worked, this is not Andrew, by the way, um, he's worked in kitchens alongside some of the most internationally lauded chefs such as Tim Aitkins from the UK and Renee Redzepi of multi-awarded awarded Noma in Denmark. We're talking about James Sharman. He's the chef of the Leah restaurant, which opened pre-summer on Hong Kong Island, and he's in town for a seasonal menu change. He talked to Andrew Dembina about his views on modern British cuisine, modifying elements of cooking to our subtropical climate, and facing off against the restaurants overseen by UK celebrity chefs on our shores. Tuesday, our usual Tuesday food and drink reporter. That's why Andrew Dembina caught up with him during the long weekend. So let's have a listen all about James Sharman. Hi, my name's James Sharman. I'm a chef and I build restaurants in different countries around the world. Right now we're in the Leah, which is our casual British restaurant in Hong Kong. You are here at a time which is a bit tricky. However, we are looking out at the lush garden terrace that you have. It's quite an oasis in Causeway Bay. Was the location of the restaurant an important one for you when you thought about opening in Hong Kong? We actually saw the location um, and before we had an idea for what we were going to do. And I think once we saw that location, the concept kind of wrote itself, if you like. Like, uh, it was just really, really clean and clear to us that it was going to be a very kind of simple, honest um, sort of British garden experience. That's kind of how it makes me feel. And you do come from a background of uh, working with fine dining chefs. You've worked with Tom Aitkins, you've worked with um, René Rezepi of uh, Noma Restaurant fame, but you've gone back to, um, as you say, a more no-nonsense type of menu. I, I think that um, a lot of the time chefs are kind of typified by the restaurant that they've done that's closest to you. Um, with the Leah, I, I just really thought that doing some some simple British food and just genuinely cooking it the way you would cook it at home. Mm. If you were, had a Saturday off, you went to a supermarket <laughs> and you wanted to make something amazing, then you would, you know, shop around, play with some ideas, and you might just want to make an amazing pie. That would be your focus, and that is what the Leah is. Simple food, genuinely done really, really well. And is it true that the inspiration for, uh, for some of the menu goes back to a time where you shared a flat with chefs and uh, you would pitch in with some of the ingredients that you each had? Well, at the time we thought it was a horrible house. It was like a nine-bed flat uh, in South London. Uh, we, we were all chefs there and we all worked in different sort of Michelin-style restaurants and mm. none of us had any social skills because we spent all day in underground kitchens in London, but we all had Sundays off. So we'd bring back any prep we had left over and put together comfort food that we wanted to eat out of great ingredients. And that's how a lot of these dishes came about. So far, you've been open since the spring of this year. How do you feel that the reaction has been in Hong Kong to some of these comfort foods that obviously would go down well in the UK? How have they gone down here? I actually think they've gone down amazingly well here. There's been points when we started opening that, you know, you would think something so simple and, and honest and basic might be overlooked. But I really don't think it has been. I think people are sort of appreciating the extra effort that goes into things like making your own pastry when you could so easily buy it. Mm. Um, but, you know, that little bit of difference and that bit of extra character, I think, yeah. goes a long way. And I think it is appreciated. Talking about making your own pastry and doing things authentically, Hong Kong has a great reputation for being able to source all kinds of ingredients. Have you found that or? Are there certain ingredients that are difficult to get fresh and you have to maybe go for something else or improvise? The thing is with, with classic British food is it, it's not so much I'd like a lot of cuisines really, really relying on ingredients. Obviously things like seafood have to be super fresh, but mm. if you want to make good pastry, those ingredients are in everybody's house. They're just waiting there. To, but it's just all about the technique. Making good pastry requires you to like basically wash ice and use ice to wash yeah. your flour. And these kind of tricks are really what make it amazing. It's actually not so ingredients focused. Then 
then there are other challenges, aren't there, such as the humidity in Hong Kong? So actually, this is an interesting one because this is one that um, a lot of chefs that I speak to, like friends of mine, yeah. uh, and me included as well, you come over with a recipe that you've tried and tested mm. for years and you think you can bank on it and this yeah. recipe will never let you down and you'll come to Hong Kong, make it like you always have and mm. it won't work. So it's just all about tailoring your recipes to the atmosphere because, yeah. I mean, the humidity here, I would say, would add 10 to 15 grams of water per kilo of flour really? to anything you make. Um, so if you can just take that into account, be aware of it. It sounds kind of gross to say, but you kind of build the Hong Kong atmosphere into your recipe. And, yeah. and also, you're no stranger to this, are you? When you were spending time going around the world for a year, was it, doing pop-ups? It's a couple of years. Right, a couple mm. of years. You did use Hong Kong as a base to come yeah. back to. Why did you choose Hong Kong back then, 2014? Well, because we were extremely unknown um, and we were you know, being a little overambitious, I think, trying to go to like, you know, Beijing or Vietnam or Oman or Nepal and trying to sell out, you know, hundreds of seats of restaurants. Mm. But Hong Kong was actually this beautiful, unique situation where if we did a pop-up in Hong Kong and we had 60 people in our dining room, we could probably find a person who had a friend in all of the countries we went to visit. And so Hong Kong actually gave us this kind of network and it meant that any time we landed in a country, we weren't totally alone mm. and we always had you know, a foot in the door, so to speak, from guests that had eaten with us here. Hong Kong was essential to us socially. So wondering, Hong Kong has a lot of restaurants that open and close. There are big names chefs or celebrity chefs, if you like. How do you find it battling against some of the big names? Of course, I'm talking about Gordon Ramsay, Jamie Oliver, Tom Akins, who have all at some point had restaurants here. Is that a challenge when you are serving up a very good beef wellington and your scotch eggs and these type of dishes which can be found mm. in other celebrity uh, chef restaurants? Is it tricky? It's more about, you know, what the diner wants. Yeah. You know, things are a lot more fluid, things can change. I could sort of see something I didn't like to sign up woke up woke up one morning and didn't mm. like anymore mm. uh, and change it uh, for better or worse you know in a Gordon Ramsay restaurant all these really established places they have a lot of processes to go yeah. through to write their menu and I think there's good and bad sides to both right. um, but I, I definitely think that there's never going to be too much sort of restaurants that are just doing things properly so that's probably uh, helpful then to have come from a fine dining background with a lot of attention to detail um, to be able to hone something that is simple I would certainly say that's true I mean when you work in fine dining restaurants people assume that you know you're you're just learning to cook and you're learning how to handle ingredients and prepare certain things mm. but your first sort of three four years in a good fine dining restaurant are more about discipline organization mm. um being like a really really meticulous person so that you you can go on to create food in the right way that's the benefit of working in these really top-end restaurants because mm. they have the, the right culture for you to be able to learn and grow. Can I just ask out of interest, what was your biggest takeaway from uh, working with uh, Rene Redzepi of mm. Noma? It's a very sort of, very captivating environment, especially, mm. you know, as a chef, build up for years your hopes of going there. It's the only restaurant everyone wants to go to. I think when we're talking about attention to detail, I think Noma takes it to another level. I mean, I remember in my first week at Noma, I was set up with a little magnifying glass on a bench with a punnet of strawberries and just advised that this was going to be my task for the day. And uh, my job was to de-seed uh, strawberries <laughs> under tweezers. a magnifying glass with tweezers, yeah. And, and we were using the seeds rather than the strawberry. And I mean, it was actually an amazing dish in the end because it was like a lightly poached lobster tail rolled in fresh strawberry seeds. And the strawberry seeds had to be just plucked from the strawberries so that they would be soft and have that kind of like fruity finish. And it was it was a magical dish and not something you would ever think of. But there's no other restaurant doing that kind of labor. I mean, next time you see a strawberry, just think of me. Wow. Um, because just think of what you have to go through. But there's about 250 seeds in your average strawberry and one by one, 
back to the menu so far from spring mm -hmm. that has gone down better than you'd expected in Hong Kong. Um, uh, what's the feedback that you've had? Or if things maybe not hit the mark in the way that you expected? Are you learning in that way? I, I think we're definitely learning. I mean, I, apart from like at home, I've never really worked in a restaurant that serves this kind of food before. Mm. So it's been really nice. It's been quite refreshing to look at simple things in a new way. I think one of my personal favourites is the Scotch Egg and Soldiers. Oh, yeah. I'm assuming anybody that's listening will have had a Scotch egg before. Um, so, you know, obviously the ones you get in the supermarket are a hard-boiled egg wrapped in pork, wrapped in breadcrumbs. Um, so you'll probably be familiar with restaurants now. It's common to have a soft-boiled egg that's then wrapped in pork, wrapped in breadcrumbs and fried in it. Um, so the yolk would be running. Mm. And so I was sort of starting to eat it when we, when we were doing this, and it was making a bit of a mess. And I was just thinking about how it's like you're taking off the shell and adding a new shell, so I thought it would be nice to eat it like egg and soldiers, like dip yeah. the egg, right? But you could eat the whole thing. So the idea was that you can dip your uh, soldiers into the yolk, and then rather than have to peel off the egg, you can just pick it up and eat it. Something else that made a real impression when I did try some of your menu was um, the scallop and black pudding, the really light texture of the black pudding. I, I think... It's the it's the way that we cook it. Um, in the end, it's the acidity. It's cooked in uh, in whey, like yeah. W H E Y whey. It's like a byproduct you get when you make cheese from milk. Mm. Um, so when you make cheese, you you start with milk and you split it, so you end up with curds, which is the hard bit, right. and whey, which is usually wasted um, or made into all sorts of things. Mm. So like whey is like a really really tasty thing, and it's actually it's sort of the acidic part of the milk. So we use that to cook the whole thing. So that dish is really sharp, but it doesn't have lemon in it. Mm. It's just this whey liquid. So where did that idea come from? We were actually trying out a different dish where we were making this like fresh cream cheese yeah. and eventually we decided not to go with that dish but we did just have a play with the the off cut right. um, so we ended up just using the bit of the cheese you're not supposed to use mm. and not the actual and it just yeah. So you're here to refresh the menu at the, towards the end of the year. You're also going to be adding some daytime dishes, pies and salads. Yeah, we were struggling to keep up with the demand of the pies because I guess we hadn't really anticipated that people would like them so much. Mm. Um, so we wanted a way that you can just walk by, pick one up and take it away during the day because obviously the loo is only open at night at the moment. Yeah, yeah we're definitely going to be adding more pies just sort of due to... Uh, the demand really so some different types of uh, what kind of types um we're working on one at the minute which is like a, a lamb shoulder that's cooked for two days in balsamic vinegar mm. and then shredded down and made into a lancashire hot pot wow that should be fun talking about the uk where you are still based mm -hmm. what is hot at the moment trends that you can tell hong kongers about i think the whole meat or no meat thing is is really becoming quite evident and i, I think it's not as simple as restaurants putting more vegetarian and vegan dishes on the menu you're starting to see restaurants kind of split apart so you'll see restaurants open that are purely vegan yeah and you're starting to see more restaurants that are unfriendly for vegetarians um which i think is a really interesting thing and i don't have much mm. of an opinion on it mm. but you, you're you're getting like really these kind of meat-based restaurants where a vegetarian is effectively not welcome through what's on the menu and what isn't i think the goal here and i mean you know obviously everyone has their own opinion but the goal you know, for everyone should be that meat should, you know, perhaps be seen as, as a special occasion type thing mm. and, and you shouldn't feel like you've been denied a, a sort of substantial mm. meal because you've not eaten a chicken right. breast. Okay. Um, and I think that's so, where we should go. So are, are you putting more vegetarian dishes on the menu with that in mind? Yeah, we're just trying to incorporate um, as many different types of ingredients as we can, right? And, and obviously, I think, you know, with a, a restaurant like this, it is 
I mean, a Hong Kong less so, but it is a special occasion to go to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think, you know, restaurants will serve meat for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I just think, you know, these, these kind of vegan restaurants that are coming up, it's a really interesting thing. And I think it's going to be interesting to see um, where they go because 10 years ago, mm. the thought of opening a restaurant that only served vegan food and didn't serve any meat mm. is be preposterous. Mm. Um, and now they're, they're doing great. So, okay, so the Lear is about to go through a couple of changes that we've mentioned. Are you looking at opening elsewhere in Asia? We have the Lear here, um, and then we have a, a restaurant in Taiwan called The Tavernist. With The Tavernist, it's a concept that changes to its environment very much so. Um, so we're quite interested in doing some more of these kind of flexible the concepts where you can really go to a country with an open mind, mm. get a restaurant space together, and just kind of trust that the concept will create itself rather than going in there with like a dogmatic idea in mind of what you're going to execute. So that particular restaurant will have a very fluid menu. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of the idea, is that you, you do just sort of accept that you're going to embrace what you find and, and try and make the best of it, rather than, you know, like a lot of chefs tend to do, which is where you land in a country and you say, right, this is going to be our menu, this is what we're going to do against all odds. We'll be importing things left, right and centre, like no matter what, um, you know, we're going to get as close to what we started out with as we can. And when you do that, what your, your initial idea for your menu t tends to either be exactly what you set out for or a slightly diluted version of. Whereas if you just accept that you're going to roll with the punches and keep an open mind and, and kind of use what you find, then you tend to grow and progress. And I think that comes through in your menu eventually. That was UK-based chef James Sharman of the Leah Restaurant that opened in Causeau Bay in May. And he was talking to our Tuesday food and drink reporter, Andrew Dembina, all about modern British cuisine, modifying elements of cooking for our subtropical climates and facing off against restaurants overseen by other UK celebrity chefs on our shores.